The following program is paid for by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 7233. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group. Contact your local branch for more information. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Gateway Mortgage Group. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Wow, spooky, creepy, scary. It is Halloween weekend. Welcome to the Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 29th show. Halloween is all about being scared. Finances can be a little scary as well, but that's what the show is all about. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in. I'll keep you informed and maybe won't be that scary when it comes to your financial plan. If you're hearing my show at a different day or time, you're listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have on the show. Please call at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com. And the lineup for the Halloween weekend show today, Randy Banneker with Banneker Public Affairs. We're going to be talking about housing affordability and supply. Also in studio, I have John Viacava with Real Living Northwest Realtors, uh, reinvesting in your commercial property. And last guest in studio, Andy Landis, one of the nation's foremost authorities on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Uh, how much Social Security should matter should it matter at your youth and young age? Great information and great guests in studio today. For more information on any topics discussed or topics you'd like me to bring into future shows, please call the show at one 855 411 Again, that's one 855 411150 or online at com. And to start out the show today, we'll start with a little money chat. Money. Money. Today, my money chat's around for my first-time homebuyers. Any of you listening to the show that are currently renting and thinking about being a first-time homebuyer, I just want to go over a, a, a few things to make sure that you don't make these mistakes that some first-time homebuyers are considering to be a homebuyer might make. The housing market is hot thanks to the still historical low interest rates and the lack of inventory. And some big mistakes that first-time homebuyers can make, first, not considering purchasing and continuing to rent. So it may seem a little bit overwhelming in the idea of being a homeownership, but the best thing to do is to run the numbers. To do that is to consult with a mortgage consultant. That's what I do for a living full time. So if you need my assistance, um, I can help you there. Looking at the numbers to really see what the benefit is of homeownership versus rent. So if you're making a rent payment, remember that mortgage payment is completely different because of the benefit that you have through tax benefit, uh, possibly tax credit if you qualify for those. So you do get an interest deduction. If you're at a 25% tax bracket, every $100,000 that you borrow, that may be around $70 a month that you're receiving a benefit in your income taxes. So that's less income taxes you're going to pay at the end of the year. If you didn't know, you can actually amend your W-4 with your employer so that you can see that money on a monthly basis in your net income rather than waiting to the end of the year to take that benefit. Also, there are first-time tax credits available for first-time home buyers, 20% tax credit on all the interest that you pay on your mortgage for the life of the loan dollar for dollar. So that's in addition to the deduction that you have. Now, homeownership also 
You have the equity that you're paying down mortgage. So every time you're making a mortgage payment, a portion of that's going towards your principal. So that's equity. That's just money that you're building up in your home and have access to you when you when you sell that property. Plus the appreciation uh, that you have in your home when your uh, your property increases in value. Now, homeownership also is a fixed rate. So your majority of you would be looking at a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. So outside of your, outside of your property taxes, uh, homeowners insurance, those are going to fluctuate. The mortgage is going to be fixed for 30 years. If you look at your rent, average increase increase in rent on an annual basis, maybe 4 to 5%. So the difference between having a fixed rate versus a payment that you don't know where it's going to be and with no end in sight. And then the last thing when it comes to really running the numbers and considering uh, it is if you look at a mortgage... Eventually, at some point in time, that mortgage is going to be paid off if you're on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage and you're not continuing to buy up in your property, whereas rent is a never-ending payment. Now, also, you want to make sure that once you get into a home that you're not using that home as an ATM. There is. You are going to be building equity so you can get home equity lines of credit to pull money out of your home. And that's fine if you're strategically doing smart things with it. If you're taking the money off to pay off credit card debt and not building more credit card debt, or if you're taking money out to do improvements on your home so that you can build um, the value because of the work that you're doing on the home and making sure that you actually can afford that additional payment that you're going to have. So just be cautious there um, in not using your home as an ATM. Uh, Put the cart before the home. Make sure that you're getting pre-approved. Run the numbers during when you're looking at the numbers, making sure that you're finding out what you can actually approve for and know what your options are. There are a lot of different loan program options, analyzing all of them to make sure that you're picking the best program. You want to do this before you actually get out and start shopping for a home. So really get prepared on that and make sure you know where your objective is in your payment. Now, the bank is going to approve you for the very maximum. You also want to know where your own comfort range is and where, where you're willing or not willing to stretch that payment so when you get out in the market, you're ready to go. Um, not preparing to compete in the market is a big one, especially with the lack of inventory. So this is a big mistake, not just only first-time home buyers, but anybody that's getting into the market that isn't, doesn't understand exactly the dynamic of what's happening. You've got to be ready to move quickly. If you want to get that home, be prepared up front and how to strategize and put that offer together by uh, listening to what your real estate expert is telling you need to do to be competitive. Um, be prepared maybe with escalation clauses potentially uh, waiving inspection. I'm not saying not to get inspection. Uh, Doing a pre-inspection might be a good idea. Uh, Again, you can talk to your uh, real estate expert on that. Uh, Come in with a strong closing. You want to be competitive there, so make sure your lender is able to close in a 30-day closing window, and that'll make you competitive when it comes to closing. Possibly look and talk to your real estate expert about waiving your finance contingency, um, just putting yourself in a real position to be competitive, and then also in possibly higher earnest money. Uh, Typical earnest money is anywhere from 1% to 3%. Now, right now in this market, I would say 3 on a high end would be 5% to be very competitive. Um, that's money that's going to go directly towards the purchase of your home. So it's not money that is, is not coming back to you, but going towards the loan. There's a lot of other things that you can be competitive with. That's why it's important to work with a real estate expert that has knowledge of and, and works with a lot of buyers in negotiating so they can really help you to coach you in that area. Um, Too much faith online. Uh, While many credit counselors and financial advisors advocate researching mortgage online, it's a good place to check 
with the your the area that you're in and see kind of what's out there, um, run some quick payments. But it's really important that you get with a mortgage professional that's local in your area and meet face to face. Everybody's individual situation is going to be different. It's a lot of money and it's a big option. And you want to make sure that you're taking time not to just use resources that are online. Although half of borrowers claim to grasp basic loan term and conditions, more than two out of every five bad experiences stem from misunderstanding over fees, terms, uh, ownership cost, according to recent survey by Price Watch House Cooper. So it really does make sense to uh, get with a professional face-to-face. And uh, skipping the home inspection, I did talk about that in being competitive. Again, I, you really want to make sure that you're, you're having an inspection to find out what that home Uh, issues, potential issues are. The future of that home and what you're going to need to do to maintain the home and really get an idea of where that home has been and where the house is going so is is really important. Um, Expect home values to appreciate in the short term. Now, I don't know what the market's going to do. We've seen a lot of appreciation in the short term, and we may see a lot more appreciation in the short term. But as a first-time home buyer, uh, investing money into your home, you really want to be looking at this as a long-term purchase because everybody knows what happens to happen to people that purchased in 2006 and then were forced to sell in 2008. It wasn't a pretty picture. But what about the people that purchased in 2006, which was the height of the market, and went through the crash in the market, which happened in 2008, and they're still in that home right now? They're looking pretty sweet. They're surely a lot better than the people that were renting all the way through that process because what happened? The market recovered. If you look at the history of real estate market, the market's always going to appreciate, but you're going to see the ups and the downs in the market. So you want to make sure that when you're selling your property, unless you're selling and buying up, you want to strategically plan on when you plan on doing that. So those are just some tips for my first-time home buyers. If you're thinking of getting into the real estate market, uh, first and most important takeaway is get with your mortgage professional. Coming up next on the Money Hour, housing affordability and supply. Randy Banneker with Banneker Public Affairs right here on 1150 AM at KKNW after this short break. Have you recently purchased a home and are wondering how you can make it your home with a fresh new design on a budget? If so, we have the answer. Go visit the Design Center at Staging and Design Network. You'll have access to award-winning design services, new and used furnishings at up to 50% off retail, and membership is only $60 a year. They work with thousands of interior designers and professional home stagers. They also create model homes for high-end builders. Go online to staginganddesignnetwork.com, all spelled out, and become a wholesale member or visit their showroom in Kirkland. The address and directions are listed on their website. It's located in an industrial park where you would never expect. You'll consider Staging and Design Network a hidden treasure after your first visit. This is Trisha Tomlinson with Staging and Design Network. Our phone number is 425-272-4430. That's 425-272-4430. And you can find us online at www.staginganddesignnetwork.com, all spelled out. Today we're talking with Mary Lee, who is the creator of the Ultimate Home Selling Success System, a new way to sell your home without the typical pitfalls and roadblocks which cause sellers to lose sales and profits. 
Mary's Unique System creates a seller's market on every listing, giving the seller the best buyer and the best price in the market with no home inspection contingency. Mary hasn't sold a home with an inspection contingency since 2005. Her proven business model is changing how real estate is done, not only in the Puget Sound area, but across the country. There is a better way to sell your home in today's market, one that results in higher profits, a quicker sale, and a smooth, successful home selling experience. Hi, this is Mary. To learn more about our ultimate home selling success system, call us at 425-941-4229 or go to www.secretstosellingyourhome.com where you will find free consumer videos on how to prepare your home for the market, top tips for proper pricing, how to hire an expert agent, sell your home without a home inspection contingency, and get a customized market snapshot of home values in your area. This is the place where savvy home sellers are going to get expert advice on creating an exceptional home selling experience. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM, KKNW, the Saturday, October 29th show, Halloween weekend. I'm committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your financing. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive from listening to the show today. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at one 855 411150 Again, that's one 855 411150 or online at themoneyhour.com. In studio right now, Randy Banneker with Banneker Public Affairs talking about housing, affordability, supply. Randy, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Thanks so much for having me. And a little bit about Randy. Uh, Randy's president of Banneker Public Affairs. Randy has been engaged in our region's critical issues for more than 20 years. He has extensive experience advocating complex, highly visible, and controversial land use and public policy initiatives. Randy is a leader in the region's business community and has a strong record of community service, which includes co-chair, Policy Committee of Greater Seattle Chamber of Commerce, President Villa Academy Boards of Trustees, past chair Bellevue Chamber of Conference, past president Seattle City Club. And prior to former Banneker Public Affairs, Randy held government affairs positions at Washington Natural Gas, Puget Sound Energy, and Rocky Company, now Hill and Knowlton. So uh, excited about the conversation. Talk a little bit about the housing affordability and uh, supply because it really is a hot topic right now with everything that's happening in our real estate market. So Randy, you're engaged in public affairs and government relationships work on in, in the region, representing groups like Seattle King County of Realtors um, and other organizations and businesses trying to do something with government to have government not do something to them. So what is the major issue that you're seeing right now, Randy? Well, you know, housing has really emerged as a, as a tremendous public policy issue. And whereas before, I think we've had discussions around market rate housing, uh-huh. its affordability, it's really uh, the the public debate, the debate among government circles, um, really at, at every level of government, has uh, has included housing, housing affordability, particularly for people who are earning less than median income, mm-hmm. as well as, as, as homeless um, issues. Now, 
our challenge has been that the the narrative from the government has been focused more on on housing subsidy programs uh-huh. and increased regulations, less on what we view as the underlying problem that housing growth hasn't kept pace with job growth. And that's led to the circumstances you described before the break, yes. um, which is very little supply and a very competitive marketplace for, for people out on the market trying to buy. So, Randy, there's been a, a great deal of debate over the homeless issue in the C, uh, city of Seattle. And how do you see playing out? Um, how do you see that playing out? And what are some of the key considerations are that my listeners should be aware of? Sure. It's a great question. Uh, you'll recall that the city council was, was Seattle City Council was pursuing a strategy that would essentially make camping in public places legal. Yes. Places like rights of way, sidewalks, mm-hmm. uh, unimproved area of parks, um, even even school property potentially, and there was tremendous uh, frustration expressed by the uh, the citizens of Seattle, just average people who hadn't been engaged in outreach to the city council before, and got engaged. Um, now they weren't they weren't at all hostile to the the fact that there are folks out on the street that sure. need help yep. but um they were frustrated that the council's solution was less than a band-aid really um and would could could exacerbate the problem and compromise neighborhood quality and and safety sure so, Randy, obviously housing has a big element of homeless, the homeless issue. And are the cities in our region headed in the right direction on affordable housing? Well, you know, there, there, there have been a lot of positive steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, the, for instance, specifically to the homeless issue, the, the city council, Seattle City Council, is poised in the right direction. They're adopting uh, a strategy defined by uh, a national consultant, and they're looking at ways to house these people quickly and, mm-hmm. and, and get services to them. That's important. Yes. Um, but we also have to be mindful that the underlying challenge is that if we don't balance supply and demand, mm-hmm. we are pushing um, middle-income earners off the yes. uh, out of the opportunity to purchase. And so those folks are having to travel farther and farther from where they live mm-hmm. to, to qualify for a mortgage. Um, and we have to be careful that when we pursue programs that would create affordable housing or low-income housing, that those subsidies are not purely funded by uh, real estate excise taxes or by um, certain fees that are associated with the transaction. Because as you know, that further compromises that middle-income earner who is struggling to to get into their first house or condo. And we want to make sure that we've got that entry-level ownership housing opportunity well in place. Yeah, and it's I, I mean it's a it's a challenging um, uh, conversation and uh, to find a solution around that. So, Randy, what ro- role do alternative housing types like uh, mother-in-law units or backyard cottages play in housing affordability? So, you know, I think they have been really underestimated in their value because these units bring a great deal to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, they offer below market rents for those folks who are looking to rent a space. They offer an income stream uh, to the owner, uh-huh. creating the opportunity for that owner maybe to stay in that house longer if they're empty nesters. Yeah. Um, and and 
establishing greater affordability. As you know, if you can demonstrate an income stream that uh, a mortgage lender will recognize that, that could help you get into a house. Um, And they don't create significant impacts on the look and feel of the neighborhood. So they give us some immediate housing supply without fundamentally changing how we perceive our neighborhoods. Okay. So, Randy, more and more homeowners are renting out a room um, or maybe the mother-in-law unit through platforms like uh, Airbnb and HomeAway. Aren't these units taking uh, a longer-term rentals off the market? And isn't this making it more challenging for the, with the adding to the affordability challenge that we're having? Well, that, that is very much the criticism, but I, yeah. I think it misses the mark a little bit. Um, like longer-term rentals of the, the mother-in-law units, um, these short-term rentals offer homeowners great opportunities to generate income from their home. And it gives them the opportunity, the homeowner, the opportunity to choose exactly the amount of time, the number of days they're willing to rent the unit. Mm-hmm. So I think that contrary to taking units off the long-term rental market, I think it brings more units into the rental pool um, because the platform is is so user-friendly, both for the homeowner and for the user. Um, the other hmm. point I'd make is that that the number of units out there right now is pretty small. Sure. That'll grow, but yep. it's not statistically significant at this point. And, um, you know, we are facing such a tremendous surge in job growth. Um, we, we just can't house these folks. Yeah. And it piles on to an already difficult affordability and transportation challenge that our region is facing. Yeah, and I think it's important to to know, too, with the um, the, uh, Airbnb and I don't know about the the home away, you really have to be an owner-occupied property in order to participate that. So it's, you know, in rental properties, they can't do that, correct? That's To go into that platform. That is up for debate. So we're going to see how that plays out. Okay. I would say... So that is not a a law that's in place right now? No. Okay. All right. And, And again... What the market is doing, what what owners of multifamily units are doing, uh-huh. they are letting the market test the viability of that. Okay, and we will see what sort yeah. of is that a niche mm. that is it is somewhere between a long term lease and a hotel room. Yes. Is there a niche there that makes sense, Got really it. good sense, both for that owner but also for the user and and just for the region? Of course. So, uh, what's going on to to take uh, make some real roads in housing? Well, again, um, as, as we discussed earlier, um, if you think of, of housing as a continuum, as kind of a ladder, and you mm-hmm. begin, you get your first, uh, your first rental when you're, when you're out of college or when you're in college and you work up the ladder to make your first purchase um, and you work yourself on up as you improve in the, in the housing stock that you get, um, I'm worried we're losing those middle rungs. I'm yeah. worried we're, we're losing the entry level or the, the, the moderate move-up level and, um, and, and that we have not been serious about, again, um, balancing that market rate supply with demand and leaving almost no room in the middle of that ladder um, for, for those middle-income folks. Um, one of the things that we need to think about to solve mm-hmm. that is taking advantage of significant increased housing densities yes. uh, around transit stations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in our urban villages, and in key multifamily zones. Places where density is appropriate yes. and places where we can do multifamily ownership, condo development, mm-hmm. and do it in a way that gives people access to jobs 
and and uh, a community. So uh, somebody might be listening, just thinking, you know, there's all these cranes, new projects mm-hmm. that are going on out there. How could we be having still a, a, a housing supply issue? Right. The you know the I think the 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 official bird of our region is the crane, right? Because yes. that's all you see. Uh huh. And and so I think the answer is. It's good, but we need to be bigger and bolder. Um, you know, we just ran some numbers looking at just 11 months in 2015. There were 23,600 building permits issued in the Tri-County region, okay. King Pearson, Snoqu- uh-huh. Snohomish. But there were more, there were nearly 100,000 people from out of state who got new driver's yeah. licenses. Makes sense. Okay, so so we're adding workers four times as fast yes. as we're adding housing, mm-hmm. and that is... So it's a little deceiving seeing the cranes out there not taking consideration the population growth that we have. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And we don't want to shut down gro- job growth, Definitely right? not. We Definitely want to facilitate not. it. Yes. Yeah, so we got to find a, a find a, um, a space there to, to bring everything together. So I've got just a couple minutes, uh, Randy, here with you, and I want you to kind of leave um, with your best forward in what you're doing or what people can, what we can do to really help in making progress here. So I would say that people need to get engaged at the community level and be open to the good things that, that growth can bring. And I would just ask, ask you and your listeners to think about some of the transformations that we've seen through commercial and residential development in South Lake Union, in downtown Bellevue, uh, downtown Kirkland. Let's watch Redmond as the Overlake Village develops. Let's mm-hmm. watch Issaquah as their, their downtown plan develops. Um, these are places that are becoming more interesting to live in and, and, and more enjoyable mm-hmm. because there are more people there, more offerings, yes, restaurants, uh, shops, things like that. And so let's think more about that than, than be worried about the change that, uh, that is unknown. Wonderful. Great advice, Randy. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And I you know, want to give a shout out um, on Mike here with because I have a lot of realtors that, that come in for my Power Hour Lunch and Learns and uh, the information that you bring to them and, and helping our realtors get educated on what's going on so they sh- can share that with their, uh, their buyers and sellers. So just really appreciate you. Thanks very much. Coming up next on the Money Hour, reinvesting in your commercial property. John Viacava with Real Living Northwest Realtors right here at 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. Does the home buying process frighten you? Then you need an experienced real estate broker and skilled negotiator on your side. Hire Cher Bowman Klug with the Cascade team, whose experience and strategies can help you to avoid a house of horrors. Cher is a seasoned real estate broker and has been licensed for more than 10 years. She holds a certified negotiation expert designation and has assisted many individuals and families just like yours to successfully buy and sell their homes. Hi there, this is Cher Bowman Klug of the Klug Real Estate Group. I hang my license with the Cascade team where our motto is simply outrageous service, not outrageous fees. Don't let the real estate process intimidate you. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned homeowner making a transition, I'm here to understand your specific real estate needs and excited to help you successfully buy or sell your home. Contact me today at 425-260-1482 or online at www.klugrealestategroup.com. That's 425-260-1482 or klugrealestategroup.com. 
You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 29th show. I provide you news on everything money, fresh information, and market trends in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast to talk with the guests I have in studio or chat with uh, your host. Call 1-855-411-50. Again, you can call the show at 1-855-411-50 or online at the Money Hour. Right now in studio, I'm going to have a conversation with John Viacava with Real Living Northwest Realtors, uh, talking about reinvesting in commercial property. John, first time in studio. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And uh, John, again, is with Real Living Northwest Realtors, eight years experience managing 45,000 square foot commercial property, bachelor's in communication from Seattle University. And uh, John, just to start out uh, today, a brief history on your commercial real estate experience. So for the last eight years, as you said, I've managed our, our family's property in Shoreline and um, we're anchored by QFC and Swedish. It's a neighborhood retail center. And uh, in 2012, we made the decision to reinvest and, and remodel the property, uh, complete overhaul, new sidewalks, landscaping, fascia, uh, retenanting, you know, attracting new tenants and a, a renewed sense of energy. So uh, probably probably more than I can talk about an entire show, but uh-huh. uh, I'll do my best to keep it short. So, so John, what was the, uh, why did you choose to reinvest, remodel uh, in your, with your family's property? Really the most pressing reason is we had a number of vacancies and mm-hmm. uh, uh, coupled with that, we, we started to look dated and it had been about 22 years since the property had last been remodeled. So we knew we wouldn't be able to attract the tenants we wanted um, the way we were looking. So uh-huh. we decided it was time and, and there were some issues with the property. Our parking lot layout was less than ideal and uh, parking lot lighting wasn't the greatest for customer safety and, mm-hmm. and really just wanting to modernize and um, remain competitive with, uh, with, with the market. So Got it. Yeah. So John, what are some things uh, that people should consider when deciding whether to remodel and reinvest in property? I think the most important thing in the first step is really to, to figure out what your vision is and what your ultimate goal is. And, uh, you know, you, you need to um, really figure out what you want to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was to create a, a unique high-end neighborhood shopping experience and that kind of a, of a feel. And uh, like I said, to attract new tenants. You know, for most, it's probably to attract new tenants. That's usually as a landlord when you have a vacancy, uh, that, that's when things start to become a problem. And so for some, it may be to just get their rent roll back up to, you know, top performance and, mm-hmm. and sell it and move on. But uh like I said, most folks want want to, you know, fill their vacancies and, and fill them with good long term tenants who who add value. And so, um, you know, the the biggest thing to consider is your vision and and also the longevity of how long you want to keep the property. If it's mm-hmm. something you don't see yourself doing in five years, that will probably dictate how you how you reinvest and you know how you look at your your rate of return. Uh, for us, we know that this is something we want to keep for a very long time. Our, uh-huh. My great grandfather uh, purchased it in 1937, and wow. we, we intend to keep it for another 80 yeah, years. It's been uh, in the family that long. It's yes. it's one of those things, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's it's something you've got to look at how long you want to do this, and and realistically where you see yourself with this property in the next five, ten, or twenty years. 
So, so nothing different than in residential real estate or anything else that we're investing in, really just having a, a, a plan to know exactly when we plan on making a change with that investment, and that's going to change the strategy that we have on that particular investment. Right. So uh, it's not uncommon for commercial property to be passed down uh, through family by inherited, not me. It would have been nice. But um, if, you're a, if, if you're a non-real estate professional and inherit, let's say, a shopping center, is this even an option? You know, it is. It, it really is. It's something where there is a steep learning curve. Uh-huh. There's, uh, I remember starting out and the variety of that things I learned <laughs> from different concrete mixes and landscaping to lease strategies and, and tenanting uh, strategies. But it's something that if you stick with it, the, the long-term uh, income potential is, mm-hmm. is huge. And it's something that... Uh, you can pass down to your to your family, and I think that's really neat. And and for for me and for my my mom and grandparents, there's a lot of pride. And, yes. and so for us, it's not just a job; it's not just something we do. It's something we really feel a part of. And so uh, I think you absolutely can do it um, if you decide to go go forward and and to manage it. The biggest piece of advice I could give is to utilize your resources. Yeah. Uh, you do not need to go into it alone. I know when I started, my, my mom is my, my boss and still uh-huh. is, and uh-huh. it was really nice to have that uh, support. And uh, we also you know, utilized brokers, and uh, they really know the market. And, and now as a broker myself, a lot of that experience really helps kind of guide you. It, uh, you, you become much more effective in your decision-making because you know what tenants are looking for, what people want, what the market's doing, and uh, it'll really help position you uh, you know, as best you can. Uh, in addition to that, and I, this probably speaks more to the long-term management of a property, but is uh, utilizing a, an attorney. Know your mm-hmm. leases and, and know the ins and outs of it. You live and die by your lease, and so... Uh, part of reinvesting and remodeling is making sure you can maintain that. And, sure. and that's where I think that really uh, comes in handy. And uh, finally, you know, it's really important to engage your community. Uh, I think a lot of landlords are hesitant to do that. They're afraid they will face criticism. A- and it's not uncommon. You yeah. do. I mean, huh. when we were doing our project, there were some who didn't exactly like what was going on. I think a lot of people are, are hesitant to change, but I sure. I think, you know, it's the only thing you can count on in life. Yep. And uh, and a lot of those people in your community want to know what you're doing. They care. They're the ones who help keep your tenants in business. So yeah. to, to discount their opinion, I, I think would... Uh, would not be a good idea. It's it's going to leave you, you know, with with less information than than you could have. So, so think, bring that community community together. Communicate what your plans are. Um, have it it planned out and exactly what's happening, so you can find out whether where their needs are, where their concerns are, so you can address those and ultimately bring everybody in um, together on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think sometimes what what we as landlords think. Is, is best might not always uh, reflect what the community wants. And it's of very course. important. And at the end of the day, you won't make everyone happy. Sure. But it's important to at least have that kind of back and forth uh, dialogue with them. So you'd mentioned you just said you got your worker's license. So uh, what was the reason behind that and inspired by what you're doing now? Yeah, it was really something that after this process, I realized I, I had a real passion for it. Mm-hmm. And part of that was really working with local business people and finding out what makes their business different and and how to best serve that as a landlord and and uh realized I wanted to go out and and continue to do that and and to help uh, help people in the local business communities mm-hmm. uh you know find new spaces or as a landlord help them 
fill their spaces with with good tenants. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm always interested in what people are doing. Just today, I was meeting with a, a lady whose business imports fair trade and ethically produced products from India. And she said, one of the biggest things for us is visibility, but we really can't have storefront windows because it degrades our, our product, our fabric. It's all hand dyed. Okay, and, wow. and I thought that was Makes so interesting. Sense, yeah. You would never think, well, no. so there's so many different things. And that's what I really like about, about what I do. And especially with retail, there's so many moving parts that uh, it, it always keeps me engaged. I'm always learning something, something new and, yeah. and different. And I really, I really like that aspect of it. So so just like, in, again, on the residential real estate and anything else that we're doing, having an expert that really understands what you're trying to accomplish is really important. So for uh, people that are considering getting into um, uh, commercial uh, properties and finding a commercial broker, really what should they be looking for to know that they're working with somebody that really knows what they're doing and is an expert in that arena? Well, I think uh, obviously with any profession you work with someone, you want someone who's driven and, and motivated. And, mm-hmm. and I think uh, sometimes commercial brokers get a bad rap for just putting a sign up on a property and sort of walking away. And I think you need to find someone who who lives in your community, who who really takes pride. I think they're going to be the one who best delivers the right tenant and the right solutions. Mm-hmm. And uh, knowing the community on a deeper level. For us, we were pretty close to Aurora, which is a huge, huge road. I mean, about 50,000 cars per day. But uh, we know that a lot of people don't want to cross Aurora at 530 at night. And that's where okay. our shopping center as a neighborhood center really comes into play because we, we serve that need. And so mm-hmm. you need to find someone who, who is aware of that and co- who can help guide you in the right direction and, and help you realize and show you things about your property you, you may not have known. And uh, just someone who, who really is ingrained within the community. They're okay. going to be the one who has the best connections and, yep. and who knows – Who's looking for what and what Got local it. business person is, is le- their lease is up in six months and, and they can kind of connect you. And that's really what so makes... somebody that have, have a commercial broker that is connected, invested in the community. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah makes, makes total level. sense. Yeah. So what is one of the most common pitfalls of a landlord when redeveloping their property? Well, I think really there's two and, and sort of, a, as I had said earlier, utilizing your resources. Yes. I think a lot of people feel that they they either don't know how to look for the help or they, they don't know the questions to ask. And what I would say there is, is, you know, obviously find a good broker, engage within your community groups. Chances are they probably know somebody who's in commercial and, and who can help uh, guide you in, in that, uh, you know, in that industry. Uh, and then uh, this may sound obvious, but staying organized. It's something mm-hmm. that it's very doable, but you've got to be very regimented. And if all of a sudden life gets in the way and things pop up, uh, things can get derailed. And that's yeah. when you really come with issues, and especially in a construction project like a remodel. Mm-hmm. If if you miss certain deadlines, all of a sudden you're months over your project, and, and that's, that's a lot disaster. of money out of your pocket. Yeah. And, I mean, each day you're on the job, it costs. And so – You've you've got to stay organized, and you've got to make sure you've got good experts behind you to yes. help, help you go go through that. So, John, why should you invest in a property rather than just let it sit and try to maximize your profit profits? Well, plain and simple, really, eventually they'll run out. Um, what will happen is you will look dated, your property, mm-hmm. sort of as ours did. You you begin to look dated, and, and it's very hard to attract new tenants, and, and it's hard to keep the ones you have. And yeah. then all of a sudden, your cash flow is at a point where it, it's not very viable to, to reinvest in it. So the key is to reinvest before you get to that point. Yeah. Uh, it, it's It's not going to end well if if you let it sit too long. And ultimately, a, a remodeled property is almost always going to command higher rents and attract better tenants. And uh, 
you know, than those who are dated. It, it's just, it's the way to go if you want to continue this asset and continue to, uh, you know, manage. You got to really make sure that you're taking care of the asset. Um, Absolutely. To, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's really important to do do some kind of investment, even if you can't do a, a massive overhaul. Every uh-huh. three to five years, have a project, whether it's new landscaping or sidewalks or updating your parking lot or signage. And that makes sense. I mean, I always talk about doing, you know, making small changes because nothing different here. It can see overwhelming if you look at the big project or the big picture. But if you're just making small changes, like you said, then you're maintaining and keeping it at that up-to-date level. Correct. It's sort of a preventative maintenance yes. in, in a sense. Yeah. So. John, thank you so much for coming in and joining me in studio. All excited to uh, have you come back again in the near future. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Coming up next on The Money Hour, how much Social Security should matter to the youth? Andy Lan is one of nation's foremost authorities on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Right here on 1150 AM, KKNW, after this short break. Do you want to increase your professional effectiveness and create long-term clients who bring their friends with them? Sandy McCalla with Etiquette for You takes pride in helping professionals and companies deepen their people skills and enhance their corporate culture. Sandy is a certified etiquette consultant, speaker, and mentor with over 45 years in service industries who specializes in building successful track records. To get more information on a customized plan for yourself or your organization, you can call me directly at 425-209-9952 or reach me online at etiquetteforyou.com. Again, that is Sandy McCalla, Etiquette for You at 425-209-9952 or etiquetteforyou.com. I look forward to connecting with you soon. You bought it, but do you know how it works? We're talking Social Security, the biggest mystery in your financial blueprint. Now, move from mystery to mastery with the new book, Social Security, The Inside Story. Author Andy Landis has helped thousands of people just like you master Social Security. Hi, this is Andy Landis. You can learn more at my website. Go to www.andylandis.biz. That's andylandis.biz. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM, KKNW, the Saturday, October 29th show, Halloween weekend. It's a great day to talk money. That's why I'm here with you and what the show is all about, how to make money, save money, and build a better quality of life for you and your family. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I can all you can always call the show at one 855 400 or go online to com. And right now in studio, I have Andy Landis, nationally known author, speaker, and my go-to guy on everything, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Andy, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Thank you, Tina. Great to be here. And our topic today? Social Security checkup time for younger workers. 
So if you're young, you definitely want to stay tuned in and listen to my conversation. You'll be surprised. You will be surprised. And a little bit about Andy. Andy Lennis is one of nationally foremost authorities on Social Security and Medicaid. As a nationally known author, speaker, and consultant, Andy is an author of the best-selling book, Social Security, The Inside Story, called The Social Security Bible and available on Amazon. He is a regular blogger for Wall Street Journal, Market Watch site. Uh, He's appeared on TV, Fox Business News, and PBS, and is a frequent guest on radio, including my show, The Money Hour. Andy's background includes working at the Social Security Administration, AARP, Boeing, and his own practice, Thinking Retirement. Andy lives in Seattle with Kay and Cody, his dog. So Andy, what does a typical Xer or Millennium think when they look at their pay stub? Well, first, you're probably really happy to have a job and a pay stub, which That's is pretty true. cool. You might want to frame that thing. But then you start looking at the deductions and you go, hey, where'd all my money go? Especially when you see that big FICA deduction, Tina. Mm-hmm. And so what do the younger workers think about when you're uh, talking with younger people? What are they thinking about Social Security? Well, mostly they don't at all. I mean, I didn't when yeah. I was that age, right? <laughs> uh, if they do think about it, they're thinking, what a waste. Give mm-hmm. me back my money. I'll do better with it. And, of course, the famous, it's not going to be there for me. So... Uh, You hear that all the time from younger workers. So, Andy, are these generations unique in their attitude? Is something new happening here or? Just the opposite. Man, I've been around Social Security for 39 years, which I'm starting to realize is over a third of a century. And I've watched generation after generation go through this same pattern. Mm -hmm. And it goes something like this, all the way back to when I was a boomer. In your 20s and 30s, you hate the Social Security because they're taking money out of your paycheck. And in your 40s and 50s, you start to get a little curious about it. Maybe you hear somebody that's getting Social Security or you look at what your parents are going through. And then in your 60s, it's like you flip over and it's like, this is a totally vital vital program and I can't retire without it. So, Mm -hmm. And one more note, that that last reaction really hits home for younger people if they face something horrible like disability or death. Then, Then it's like it's a really vital program. So how do you answer the question... What's in it for me? The WIFM. The WIFM question. Uh, I think of Social Security as paycheck insurance. You pay your premium with your payroll deductions, and then that buys you a complete package of worker benefits like you'd expect from a big employer. Retirement benefits, disability, life, health insurance. And then if your paycheck stops for one of three reasons, retirement, disability, or death, heaven forbid, that's when Social Security pays you back. And that package, that package of retirement, disability, life, and health is the foundation of everything you do financially. Mm -hmm. Everything else is built on top of that. So, Andy, why should people care? Well, it sounds remote when you're a younger worker, but I've worked with thousands of young people where disaster does strike, and then the Social Security becomes absolutely the most Mm -hmm. important thing in their life because stuff happens. You never know when you're going to need it. In fact, Social Security says if you take 100 workers at age 21 and you track them all the way through their career up to retirement age, over those years, 30 of them will be disabled and 20 of them will die. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So a lot of all of that, all of the disability and survivor benefits are aimed at younger workers if something Mm -hmm. happens to a younger person. We're not talking about retirement. Yeah. We're talking about stuff that happens to you during your career. So I hate to bring it up, but just imagine the worst. Suppose something happens to you, 
What if you're sick and you can't get to work for a year or more? Um, how are you going to pay your bills? Or if you have kids, heaven forbid, but how are they going to get by if you're sick or injured or you pass away? So I've talked to, like I said, thousands of people in exactly those situations in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. And I can tell you, Social Security really works to take away some of the pain when those horrible things happen. I would say prepare for the worst. Just focus on the best. I agree. Absolutely. So let's talk about the cost and how good of a deal this is. Well, if you include the Social Security and Medicare together, it's 7.65% of your paycheck. Okay. uh, With a match from your employer, which you who gets a 100% match on their employee benefits? Yes. That's crazy. So for the average worker, that's about 3300 bucks. Sounds like a lot. Plus a match from the employer. But if you just look at the retirement benefit alone, mm-hmm. let's say you're retirement age and you have a non-working spouse, you'd have to save 750000 bucks to match what Social Security is going to pay that couple. Wow. That's, it's a stretch. I mean, yeah. it's... That's pretty cool. But that doesn't even count the disability life and health insurance that you're also buying. So I'd say you're definitely getting your money's worth when you look at the whole package. Um, It's an awesome insurance deal. Um, I've worked in a private benefits department, and I've talked to a lot of insurance people, and I don't think there's any way that you could duplicate that same package in the private sector. Agreed. So, Andy, a lot of younger people are asking, is Social Security going to be around? Aren't they going to be broke? How do you answer that question? Yeah, remember that thing a few years ago where young people thought they were more likely to see a UFO than a Social Security check? <laughs> Miss that one. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. So it's a lot better than that. It's a lot better than what you've heard from the general media. For one thing, Social Security is still running a surplus. It was $23 billion last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still running in the black. And they can pay all the benefits that are due through 2034 which sounds pretty far away, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. So if Congress does nothing between now and then, which is possible, (laughs) then there would be an automatic 21% cut in Social Security. It wouldn't go away. It would just be cut. So if you look at a worst-case scenario, 21%, it's not that bad is what people think. Yeah, it's not like there's not going to be anything there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the challenge for younger workers right now is how are you going to fill that 21% gap? Uh-huh. How much are they willing to pay in taxes or cut from benefits to fill the gap? And the question comes down to what do you want Social Security to do for your generation going forward? Yeah. Every generation has had to answer that question um, all the way back to the 1930s. You know, what do we want it to do? Yeah. And, and they've modified it for each generation. So that's the challenge coming up. So, Andy, how is Social Security different from other worker benefits, especially when we're talking about retirement plans? Really different. For one thing, only about 50% of jobs have any retirement plan, including 401ks and that kind of thing. Um, Pensions are pretty much gone. Um, Savings plans like 401ks and 403bs haven't really panned out. Mm -hmm. Um, They're complicated. There's too many things that can go wrong, like people don't save enough, which is classic. They invest poorly or the market goes south, no fault of theirs. And vesting rules mean sometimes you can't take that 401k money with you to the next job. Yeah. Uh, So by contrast, Social Security is totally simple. It's all automatic. Um, It's totally portable to 95% of jobs in the U.S. And it generates something that's totally understandable, a monthly check for the rest of your life. So it's just so much simpler than your typical uh, worker package from an employer. So, Andy, and what we've talked about so far, can you summarize this for my listeners? 
Yeah, probably one key thing I said was that Social Security is the foundation of everything else you do. It doesn't matter whether you're doing estate planning, life insurance, disability planning, any of that starts off with your Social Security. So obviously, if this is your money, you owe it to yourself and your family to learn what it can do and what you can do to build on that foundation, working with people like your guests. There you go. Andy, anything new happening uh, with Social Security that you want to share with my listeners? No, probably it goes back to the same old message that we all need to look at our Social Security records at Mm -hmm. ssa.gov slash my account. Set up your own account just like you do at a bank or an investment house and make sure you know what it's doing for you. So that's uh, ssa.gov slash my account. Okay. Andy, what about some some myths out there uh, that we can clear up for listeners? What's the what's the biggest myth that you hear? Biggest one, especially for people approaching retirement, mm-hmm. is Social Security is based on your last five or ten years. You hear ten years all the time. Social okay. Security is based on my best ten years. It's not. It's based on your best 35 years. Mm-hmm. And younger workers need to know that because it's based on your average income throughout your career. So taking a few years off, not a big deal. Taking 20 years off and then reentering the workforce, uh-huh. there's no way you're going to get a full high Social Security payment. So that's very common. It's not based on 10 years. It's based on 35 years of work. Um, Let's see, another big myth. And you always said, you know, talk about really preparing and planning on when you're actually going to start drawing from Social Security because there's some pretty hefty, substantial uh, financial implications if if you draw too early or you're not strategizing on when to do that. If you take, you can take the retirement payment as early as 62. And Mm -hmm. in fact, that's the most common filing date Uh is age 62. That's where you get the least Social Security over your lifetime. All you got to live, all you got to do is live to average life expectancy or more, and you'll get much more money by waiting till 66 or 70. So uh, basically take it early. You're betting you're going to die early. Yeah. Now, I understand if you need the money, you need the money. Absolutely. Uh, But if you can delay it with a little bit of part-time work or something, Mm -hmm. you know, draw from your savings a little bit, uh, you're going to come out money ahead. So do some planning around that. Makes sense. Yeah. So what about a biggest mistake um, that you can help my listeners avoid? A couple ideas. One is taking it too early, like we just said. Yes. Uh, one is not planning ahead by not getting your Social Security statement at okay. ssa.gov slash my account. Um, and, you know, this is going to sound screwy, but especially for younger workers, I hear about this all the time. Oh, my husband died three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have kids. I never knew we could get Social Security. Yeah. And now you've kissed away three years of benefits. Wow. Tens of thousands of dollars. So don't ignore it. If you know anybody that goes through a major disability or, heaven forbid, a death in the family, mm-hmm. especially if there's kids involved, send them to Social Security and see if there's some money there. Yeah. I hate to hear you know families come in years later. And, you know, they can go back six months. That's it. Yeah. So. Not not a lot of time to recover a mistake um, oh, and yeah. a missed opportunity. Yeah. So, Andy, as I wrap up my time here with you, um, I'd like you to uh, call to action for your book. Can you tell them uh, what it is and where to pick it up at? Again, the book is Social Security, The Inside Story, and it's called The Bible of Social Security. It's not as hard to read as the Bible. Um, <laughs> basically, a full guided tour through the entire Social Security system, whether you're facing a disability in your family, a regular retirement payment, whatever it might be, 
Uh, and it's best place to get it is Amazon. They have okay. a real good price on it. So Social Security, The Inside Story by Andy Landis. Wonderful. Andy, thank you again so much for uh, joining me in studio. Appreciate your wealth of information. Love being here. Thank you. Have fun this Halloween weekend. Be safe. Have a great time with the kids, trick-or-treating, and enjoy the weekend. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy your Saturday, and I look forward to talking money with you next Saturday, same time, same place, right here at 1150 AM, KKNW. The preceding program was paid for by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS number 7233. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group. Contact your local branch for more information.